0: hey everyone how's it going and welcome back to citywide blackout your home for music movies and more i'm your host max bowen it's a blend of rock music and horror stories in this episode up first author dan franklin and i do a deep dive into his debut book the eater of gods dan talks about the real life story behind the book and how the editing process helped him as a writer We swap tales about meeting legends in the writing world and dan takes us through the world building he did the endless research and how he made the characters who they are. Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to the show. Uh, so glad you can join me in my own personal playground where I get to talk to some of the best artists from around the world. And certainly, no one fits us better than my next guest. He is the author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Eater of Gods, that you can get only through our friends at Cemetery Dance Publications. Dan Franklin joins me. Dan? Very cool to have you here, man, and I am so psyched to just dive right into this absolute horror-filled story.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. No, it's great to be here. This is awesome. I love the podcast, so it's great.
0: All right. But, all right. So this is your debut book. This is your first release, and of course, release day is very, very soon.
1: Supposed to be, but I'm out already. It just printing problems have been wild this year, so it's just got pushed by a couple weeks. But it should be out either next week or the following, something it's supposed to be in April, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how does it feel to be right on the verge of saying, hey, guys, here you go?
1: It's really cool. I mean, its I've been writing books of varying quality since I was like seven years old. Um, they weren't varying quality. They were just bad when I was seven years old, of course. But, um, but I mean, I've been working, doing this stuff. And then when you actually get the news that it's happening, it's just, it's wild. And the idea that it's actually going to be a real corporeal entity you can actually hold it open up the box and stuff it's like the scene from back to the future where the guy opens up and sees it it's just it's god it's cool
0: you sound very excited sir you sound very very excited
1: yeah i'm really excited (laughs)
0: yeah so how long were you working on this book this book is probably the fastest one i've
1: written um it still took about a year i'm not not one of those people who can just like crank them out but um so it was probably between four or five months writing it, then another six months chopping it apart, sobbing piteously over the pieces, putting it back together, trying to make it readable, and then sobbing more. But at the end of it, it came out
0: all right. So better than uh, better than all right, man. I mean, I mean, like the opening, and I feel like the really the, the the first few pages can either like make or break a book. But the opening here is really, really well detailed. Oh. It's creepy as hell. This story follows our main our, our main character, Professor Norman Haas. His uh, late wife uh was trying to find the final resting place of Kia, uh the last queen of Akhenaten.
1: Yes. Woo, I got he that was, right. Um, success. He was the heretic, or at least that's how I I've read it more than heard it, because I'm a <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually see people, I just read stuff. So
0: Fair enough. But yeah. um
1: he was the heretic emperor or heretic fairy he who's known as cause. He, he did some naughty things but exactly. um he was a really interesting guy and she was a really interesting person Who's she was a real person and she did some things and then got they tried to unmake her as a person. They only recently found hidden records that indicated that she might actually still be out like they don't know where the tomb is but that she's her tomb is somewhere out there so it's basically really so case.
0: so this Kia person really existed at one time
1: she really did and nobody really knows her she was laid to rest they thought they had her for they thought they had her body for a while but they figured out it was somebody else she was um yeah she was big on trying to eliminate the egyptian gods and replace them with a single god and Akhenaten was known for that kind of thing and um that did not sit well with you know anybody at all it was a terrible move it brought about the end of the dynasty of arguably pretty much all the power of pharaohs and um they didn't take kindly to her in particular. So there's it could be a whole bunch of things that caused her to be stricken from the records, but I chose my own version of it, so.
0: Okay, so then how, so. Uh, how'd you learn about this in the first
1: place? I'm nerdy and peculiar, and I spent way too much time reading stuff. I mean, I started out, I read a essay by Mark Sieber over at Horror Drive and He was talking about how there's no more of certain old classical monsters. There's no more mummies that were the original, idea, not the Brendan Fraser one, which I I love those Brendan Fraser movies, but they're not really like what it was about back in the day. And so he was doing that. So I started looking up the stuff and then you just start getting like, you spend a couple months where I'm supposed to be doing other work. Instead, I'm reading about all sorts of Egyptology stuff and harassing poor Egyptologists who lived in Canada until they begged me to leave them alone but i still had a lot of fun doing it so and then you stumble on something that's really just fits what you're looking for and you're building it and then it's like oh this is cool it's just it all slides into place and it was i loved it
0: but wow that dude i i had no idea i thought this whole thing was all just like just something you like you like made up but wow it was a real thing was it hard to find information because you mentioned that you know it seemed like it was a real effort to just strike this person from like the historical record
1: for you have to make some assumptions with her because it could as easily have been that she whoever do, gave birth to a stillborn baby that could get you strict from the record because if you're the Pharaoh's wife, of course it's obviously her fault that her like they were they were not exactly progressive in all of those sorts of ways. But um, you go looking up all sorts of stuff. You can look up textbooks, things like that. You find some stuff. You can, but well, that's a great part of internet. You can go through the tombs and things and check them out via vo- video footage. So you, start, you can read on a lot of stuff, but some of the things you have to sort of extrapolate because when something bad was done back then, it was they tried to delete that it, it ever happened. I mean, even when one, a pharaoh died, he built his own tomb. Then the next one would come along really like to him. You just throw him in the corner. You'd, they'd actually find bodies thrown in the corner where the new guy was like, I like that coffin, so I'm going to put my body in there. Just ditch that guy. Like, don't even put it ceremoniously. So, I mean, you can find some stuff and a lot you have to make assumptions based on different shenanigans that they got up to. Wow. <laughs> oh and then that's awesome. Like yeah. you can find people all over who have very narrow fields of expertise. And I mean, some things I'm working on now, I you find saturation divers. There's 300 in the country or whatever. You can find them. You can find different people. You can find all sorts of different stuff that's so narrow and ask them cool questions. It's great. I love it.
0: Very cool, man. Very cool. So was there a lot of time spent on world building, given that there's a real legend behind it?
1: there were not as i did a lot of it but sadly most of the editing came along that was the grim reaper came for the 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 world building because it's like it's based in the real world you don't need to put you can just put what's there what people like you know what's there and i so sadly i had this long sprawling thing and i gave it to norman prince he was the first guy okay he just said like it's good but you got to chop that first so, like you got to kill the baby take off a head like don't let that happen i was like oh but he was right. I mean, yeah. I didn't need some long-winded thing telling you where Libya is. Like, who cares? It doesn't... You, you can find that people know that or they don't or whatever, but it doesn't really matter to the actual content of the story, so...
0: Yeah, there there definitely is such a thing as giving too much backstory. Like, some, yes. Yeah. But I think, and like, I, the whole, like, exposition chapter is probably too much.
1: Yeah. And it's fun for the author always, but nowadays it doesn't fly as much. I mean... 30 years ago, it would have been awesome. But
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the times, uh, they do change. So, oh, yeah. and I, I find that this is an an interesting, almost like parallel here. So, so you have uh, Norman really following the path of his deceased wife, who was searching for the final resting place of Kia. And here you are exploring that same legend. Oh,
1: uh, it was, it was, uh, that did build into it. Because you start looking at these things, because the idea is that his wife knew all about it, mm-hmm. but he didn't know, I mean, he knew some, but he didn't know really the extent that she did. And I certainly don't know the extent that she did because she's a fictitious professor on it. Like, I mean, but it is fun. You research, so you put in everything you can find to try to boost up his research. Like they say the whole thing, you can only, a character can only know as much as the author, but the character is only exists in a small field of time. So I can, I can spend a month researching what he needs to know in a couple sentences, so he can be smarter than me. I just have to put in a lot of effort over the time leading up to there to pretend that I'm him. But um, and you get caught. It, it's fun. I mean, I love I love researching. I love the parallels, and a lot of things showed up on their own, like the parallels with between his dead wife and Kia being the dead wife of a cadenton. That whole having that parallel that showed up more on its own than I actually planned it to. So mm,
0: yeah, but. yeah. I'm only about uh, 20 pages into the story, but I love where we're already starting out where like Norman is just going to, to the most like run down, remote areas, trying to basically follow his wife's journey. And he's flat out told don't do it. You yeah. shouldn't be doing it. If you're going to do well, it, I'm going to kill you.
1: Yeah. And there is, that's always been the um, original Mummy series. You always have either a curse or the expectation of a curse. And it obviously descends into full blown horror. It's, um, not one of those that pump fakes it with saying, well, it was all in their mind. I mean, no, it's, it's not all in their mind. It's, it is real. It does go full hard.
0: Let's talk about the creation of Norman as a character. How'd you go about building this guy and also kind of building his story?
1: Well, I mean, um, I, the, um, the mummy type parallel stories, they were always had a lot of, a lot of focus on loss and regret and, just the wrongness of being wronged I mean you figure back then there's the of course the parallels with it was some princess related to rest and then the foreigner comes in and digs up their tomb and goes running around and they're rampaging it's has very easy violation parallels but also it has a lot about the idea of eternity and that you do all these things and it doesn't pay out the way you want it to I mean they were so fascinated with it afterlife and death. And I've had a whole lot of death in my family. I mean, my dad died on ground on my birthday, a couple of, I was know, 20 something. Like I've had a whole lot of people dropping off the last few years, just like going down, but then it gives you a different perspective on the story and you start appreciating a little more of their fascination with mortality, their fascination with the idea of eternity and the drawbacks that would come with that. I mean, like the things people do for it, but would you really want to achieve what they're talking about? I mean, there's a whole lot of interesting things that just come out while you're writing it and you don't even really think about them until farther along. And then it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. Now I guess you would, what was like triggering off there and it meshes in. And I I really like how it, how all sorts of these old classic, especially the classic movie, movie monsters, but horror monsters in general, they all had a real foundation that it's so easy to forget when we, not to knock the current stuff, but the Anne Rice version of vampires as, sex, if you all these things, but there was an older, really nasty edge to it that wasn't fun. It was, it was actually scared people. And it, there was reasons behind it actually scaring people. And all of these things, they were based on a real truth, a real, real horror. And when you examine them, you come across it, it's just, it's so cool.
0: I definitely agree with you because I feel like with these, with these monsters, you know, the vampires, the mummies, mm-hmm. I mean, to each their own, of course, but Putting all that angst and romance and drama—it's like no, these creatures are stone cold killers. If you—if you read the original yeah. Bram Stoker, no, yeah, Dracula it's, wasn't it's not a nice a, guy. He was a murderer. He eats
1: babies. He eats babies. That's just not sexy. I mean, he's not. He's scary. He's nasty. I mean, but I like I saw even the Frankenstein thing—the creating people taking the creating the person—all this, but those were they were really unsettling ideas and i like the older version i mean you can put them in a contemporary light but just the mashup of coming of age with everything it can be a little bit twi- twilight Ah, uh, i'm i'm not not to knock miss meyer i'm sure mm. <laughs> it's not for me <laughs> yeah
0: exactly i, I am legend right. is
1: awesome i'm uh, i am legend we can go that way but um yeah, they don't. They're not supposed to play baseball. They're not supposed to sparkle. They're not. This is not what they
0: no nope, nope. do in my you know world. What? I think you said it right. It's not for me. It's for someone. Yeah. But it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um. So so uh, pivoting back to the book, how'd you kind of plot out the story here in terms of like the action? I mean, because like obviously you want this to be a scary book, but you also don't want it to be just like this constant, you know, like uh, yeah, like like scare fest.
1: I mostly, it was mostly character driven. I mean, it it was, you write, you write for me, I don't, I sort of do the mix. They talk about the pantsing and the plotting, where you either plot out everything you're going to hit in a story or you just go by the seat of your pants. I'm somewhere in between. I write things that just immediately like go out there and then you build a couple scenes together and then you stitch them together and figure out what you're actually doing and you chop off the things that go nowhere and then you desperately try to fix the last ones up and make everything work together. But, um, so you start out with certain scenes that just were really cool and just struck as just really vivid. And then you realize it's, they weren't actually the horror scenes. A lot of the times they were the, 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 what the character, the main character is facing. And then when that starts integrating and you focus on that sort of breaks at the pace, you have, you can have terrible things happening, but then you have it from Norman's perspective and it comes through and it gives it sort of a rhythm to it where it's not just bad things happening, bad things happening. bad. I mean, Yes, all the things that happen pretty much are not what you would anybody would want happening. but um there are slow reports. There are things where you can take a breath and that keeps it from just being exhausting. and it's a shorter book. So it's not not as much of a risk of just completely getting numbing with the constant. and it's not like a bloodbath, but there are, yeah, it doesn't go particularly well for significant number of people involved
0: well i mean that's kind of the idea right i mean, I mean yeah <laughs> it was like everything works out fine it's like oh that's, that's yeah kind of I've,
1: I've never my favorite like king books are always kujo and pet cemetery where it's like these are not the um they don't end on all smiles i mean it's they i like having a little bit of rougher to it which i mean it's great that's what one of the reasons i love horror is you can never really tell the ending um Court drama, you can usually guess the ending. Thrillers, you can pretty much figure. Out. Nobody wants a thriller where it ends badly. Like, what's the? It takes away the point. But horror is when the few ones where it can allow you to make it not end necessarily in wherever everybody dies, wherever the end. But you can do a lot with it. You can do anything, and it allows you a lot of opportunity, which is I love it. So
0: when it comes to the scare, though, are you the kind of person who who prefers a, a like a light touch? Or are you like go for the jugular?
1: It depends on somewhat the context of what scares me too. I mean, different things, you try to write what makes you upset or l- unsettled, no matter what it is. I mean, the idea of it being a strange and lonely thing to live while others die, that's present. But there's also things that just make me uncomfortable. I mean, I'm no, I don't mind closed spaces, but I'm not a big fan of them. I'm not a there's a lot of things that would not sit well with me at all. So then you try to focus on them, and because if it makes me uncomfortable, it makes somebody else uncomfortable to read it, because it should reach through. And that's, I mean, so the whatever the professors you say was write whatever embarrasses you or scares you, and that's what people want to read because that makes it interesting. So it's like yeah, I kind of agree with that.
0: Spiders, but. every time friggin' spiders.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my daughter's discovering the joy of them. She's three years old, and. She just went from loving them to suddenly not loving them and letting up blood curdling shrieks when she sees them. So it's like, yeah, that's a good one. All right, we've we have a fear, so that's Exa- good. I can play on that. But um...
0: <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um Dan, you mentioned earlier about the loss in your family, and I'm really, really sorry about this, man. Um that's... and how that kind of like factors into the story. How does adding that more personal touch though, how do you think it strengthens the book?
1: I think it makes it where it's more than just... I mean, you can make a book that's going to be somewhat scary. You can make it where it resonates somewhat. But if it really resonates with me when I'm writing something and it comes out and I feel like this actually captures some of what I feel and some of looking at my mom, watching over... I mean, she was 50 years old. She lost her husband. Like, seeing that sort of outlook on the world, that changes. And there's obviously a parallel of Norman just losing his wife when he's in that age range it's like what do you do do you you start over do you keep going and these things and she's she's really strong but it's hard I mean these things and you see these things you internalize them and you don't even realize you're writing with them until they're on the page you're looking at it and seeing, this is what was upsetting to me this is the hardest part was this or that and these I mean I've I've write I've written a whole bunch of manuscripts this is the first one to actually put much effort into trying to sell to people normally I just write them they form this gigantic stack over in the corner but um, you write through all sorts of things. I have bipolar issues. You write about that and some things. You write about all these different things and they bleed out of you and you feel, it's, you see them on page and you can actually feel them there. And it's like, it's, it's what gives it power is having some of that same resonance. Now, I, that's also why I'm not particularly good at writing slashers is I've never been attacked by an axe-wielding psychopath. I mean, I've wanted to be occasionally because I mean you take all these self-defense things you realize that would do no good against the guy with the axe but you you'd make a feeble attempt you'd be the character who dies 30 minutes in I mean maybe not the opening scene but like you're not going to make it through it but I don't really know how to write zombie things I don't really know how to write slash things I write more personal character driven where it's things that parallel to what I do understand and I can I, I mean obviously you can work on different things and build on them and do different different avenues but there's so much where you can use it as a not not full quiet horror because quiet horror is so much just it can be a single person just going through trauma in their mind and that happens some but but you can expand it a little bit from there and tackle things that are present in your world in everybody's world because if it's present in mine it's present in other people's i mean i'm not it's you it used to be the illusion that oh i'm going through depression and it's crushing me under and that's something only i experience but it's not it's things that. Everybody deals with, especially people, book people, horror people, things like that. They're not, it's not that singular, these sorts of issues. I mean, everybody's seen death at this point. Everybody's seen depression, loss, fear, being trapped, that kind of thing. We all know those feelings. So it gives it an emotional weight to it that you can, I mean, everybody who has a relationship, you can be afraid of losing your loved one. And it's, it does add some power to it. And that's always what I love to read was things that made me feel a little bit sickened. I mean, talking about Cujo, I mean, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it's not something a parent wants to read. And it hits you hard. It hits you differently when you have a kid. And then you can really appreciate that what King was afraid of is the same thing that I'm afraid of. And it's like it's, it makes it something cool.
0: In yeah. a morbid way. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Stephen King's listening, going, "No, no, they're giving away yeah. the <laughs> ending. No." <laughs> I know. Well, it's. I figured this is what forty years
1: old. Like you yeah. gotta, you gotta call moratorium on the spoiler alert at some <laughs> <Exactly>. point. <now. laughs>
0: You've had your chance. It's cool, Stephen. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Watch the
1: movie. The movie can do whatever it wants. They don't. They don't always even read the book for Stephen King stuff. So I mean...
0: <laughs> but you gotta read the books too, because I feel like yes. the movie versions are usually pretty good. I did see them. Uh, I think there's a TV series for The Stand wasn't bad i liked it
1: i'm still a fan of the old one i never i couldn't watch the new one because i just love the old oh i Red watched the, the old one just...
0: I'm, I'm not talking about the new one no i'm talking about the old yeah. one that came out so many years yeah.
1: ago. yeah yeah 90s or whatever yeah that was awesome
0: <laughs> that was a really good series very very cool stuff um you know since we're on the subject of mr king and his works what authors have been your your, your like um your longtime favorites when it comes to horror oh, i mean i i've Obviously, everybody has
1: to love some part of King. He's written such a breadth that at some point, there's somewhere in his pantheon of books that you're going to like some stuff, especially I always was a fan of his older stuff. I mean, Joe Hill, man, if he ate alphabet soup and had diarrhea, I'd read it and love it. I mean, the man is just made of gold. There's Scott Smith. I mean, I he's written two books, made them both into movies that he wrote, and then I guess he got bored with doing everything that I want to with my entire life in a couple of years, but he's the god. I mean, that's just so cool. There's, um, oh, boy, I can't think of um, Richard Matheson, who's I'm a legend, all this old Twilight Zones. So, I mean, that's the creativity, the just magic power he had in his mind to see so many scenarios. And so, how that, how many of these things, and they had such terrible graphics, but they hit to your heart and you see them. And like, that's what I love. That's, there's, there's so many of these books I mean that I just they're pieces of truth they're just awesome they're I'm kind of get a little bit excited about of course but I mean even the more recent Malfi, Gafunia these people that are just I mean I I love it that's part of what I love about my job is that I'm surrounded by books I get to see I get to see these books come through and pick them up and read them and meet these people and their writing styles and some of them at work some of them doesn't but God, it's good.
0: Yeah. I recently finished listening to the Pine Deep trilogy which was written by Jonathan Mayberry, who's one of my favorite authors. Okay. And that's a horror cool. series. And oh my god. I mean, like, I think the guy's more well known for his uh, his Joe Ledger Thriller series, but no. Yeah,
1: that's how I thought he was mostly thriller, but I'll keep does that in mind. That's
0: good awesome. horror.
1: And somehow when they're when they get good at writing, they can do the things they're not. As known for, necessarily as comfortable with, and it doesn't really matter because they've got it in them. They just may not have realized it.
0: Mm, absolutely, at all. absolutely. All right. Um, you know, I like to ask about what you learned during the writing process. I mean, most of writing comes down to just putting.
1: I mean, you can the whole idea you can only have one real god that you're serving. Like you can only when you're writing, you're serving your book. It's yes, it was not necessarily easy on my wife. It was not necessarily. I mean, I'm an insomniac, so it didn't. In, Cause much issue with my daughter I just write at night but that means I'm not coming to bed until four and then I'm waking up at six or seven and I'm staggering through the day in a blurb but it's but then come nightfall she goes up to bed and I'm going back playing around on my keyboard trying to write these things and it's it's hard on the world around you but if you pour in the more you pour in the more you get out of it I mean and that's what I've slowly been discovering over the past like five or six years where it's I've been writing things that actually I complete more rather than writing these have things that just aren't that good. You have a couple good scenes, but they're not good enough. And then you start realizing you can do good enough. You you can make these into actual finished products if you pour in, even at the cost that it. it does hurt. People. I mean, it is hard on people around you. It does definitely take a lot more than most jobs, and does deliver a personal satisfaction. But I don't know if it's as easy. Like they don't get it. They don't see the demonstrated payout. I mean, it isn't like. I mean, I finished. I the eater of gods got bought two years ago and it's still just coming out in hard copy. I, I get that the wife is a little bit, it's hard. I mean, it is, but it's, it's something I have to, uh, you, if you're writing, you're not writing for money. You're not writing for, even to get it published, you're writing because you have to write. And it's when it works out, it's so much better. It just, it, it helps. It makes life doable. I mean, life's pretty hard, but.
0: Was it tough to be done with this? No more edits. No more oh, tweets. it's still
1: not It's still not done. I can tell you in chapter four, I think it is, I used the word feel instead of ambiance, and that kills me inside because ambiance was a better word. It should have been ambiance, and that will haunt me forever. I mean, there's a comma somewhere farther in page 70-ish area that is shouldn't really... I mean, it can, it's grammatically sound, but it's better without it there, and it just haunts me. So you're never really done. You just get it to the point where you can stomach letting it go, and then you second guess and whimper and pine over it at poor brian um he was the guy um some days who was headed heading it and i kept t- emailing him like can you tell them okay can you can you just tweak on page at some point it's like it's done yeah. this is the this is the cutoff point get it in here by now and then the seas are calm it is done there's nothing else coming in nothing else going out it is set but um you just got to trust in the, ed- the editors and stuff like that that they give you advice and then you just at some point it may not be perfect but it's the idea of perfection changes. So you can never have, it's never, nothing is ever perfect. Everything's always in somewhat flux. we in five years. I might prefer that it's might say ambiance was the worst word. Like I should never have used ambiance. I should have stuck with the original one. And it's like you change these things day by day and you go with the best version that holds like in your mind is this is what it should be. And then you pursue it.
0: But yeah, I, I think, I think most writers and also uh, musicians and I probably uh, filmmakers too, they all have to have that person to say, no, it's done no more it's done
1: and there's i can't remember who was talking about it's if you wait till you're done with it being perfect it will never be done and it will never be perfect it'll just sit i mean in the massive pile over there (laughs) but i'm still like one day i need to just really really focus on this is this word the word i want to use i didn't like how it it almost had a rhyming pattern here and it didn't there and that just upsets me too much so i can't you know actually do my job and try to sell it but um (laughs)
0: No, no, it's gotta be done. It's gotta be done, and, yeah. I, and I and I for one am very glad it's done because I'm very I'm very glad to be able to hold it in my hand and read this thing. Um, and
1: seeing it there makes me want to actually push to that stage with more things. Like I never really appreciated that it. it would be different to actually hold it and see it, and it feels more complete. They're never complete when they're just a stack of paperwork. Mm-hmm. You're just looking at it. Next edit, you can make the next tweak, you can make, and then it's actually something when it's somebody else has put a binding on it, and it's like oh. Cool. I
0: love it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, we talked earlier about the editing process, obviously, a very key part of any writer's work. What were some of the big changes that came about through this?
1: Well, I do, I go through about probably 20 or so edits of my own, and then you have line edits before you send it off to anybody. And I found one of the I mean, I love Norman Rogers. He is a really good guy, but he tears things up. He's torn up my stuff before. When I first joined STEM Dance, I was like, oh, I'm part of the company. That means that I'll definitely, be. he just looked at me. So he's like, dude, it's good. You're going to have to work a whole lot more to get into this though. So like, and sent me on home and it was like, you know, he was right. Looking back at that stuff, I gave him some old things that I had written when I was just learning what I was doing. And he was 100% right, but he's willing to chop it up. So you give him something that is the best you can manage. And he says, all right, this is really good. We're going to make some changes, but it is really good. And he took off the again the beginning, like the intro chapter. it was it wasn't cutesy, but it wasn't what I, it wasn't what I want. It wasn't what he wanted, and he was right about it. So he tells you, look, you're gonna have to chop off just straight up, cut these pages. Now, what you might want to do for an intro, like give suggestions, but mostly left it up to me. So he did a great job being really engaged, really much going, doing a really good job just going page by page and saying highlighting this area, scratching out this area going through and just every single sentence he read examined and said, is this good enough? Or is this, does this need to be tweaked? Or is this great? Those sorts of things. And what he really liked, what he didn't. And you work with all of that. And if you can actually keep true to what of you trust says, and he's, I mean, he's Stoker award winner. He's fantastic. Short novels and short stories. That's what he does. I'm, I'm more of short novels to full length novels, but like, he's sharp. He can tell you what is good and what isn't. So. Cool, cool. He made that a lot easier.
0: Definitely. So, um, how'd you first come to the attention of Cemetery Dance and what's it been like working with them?
1: Weirdly, I started working in their warehouse. I was just shipping out stuff. I was just one of their bubble bag people who was just like, Yeah, I put the book in the bag and I ship it out, and it's just but Rich, um the, my brother Richard Chisholm, he who just he's been writing with King and all that stuff, he'll know his name a whole lot more now than probably ever before. But he's been he's he's a good he's a really good guy and he loves horror. And he would he sat down at Waffle House and just asked what your favorite what, what's a favorite horror book, what's and talked about his favorite ones and went through and gave me books that I to read from some seminance that I didn't realize their value. And then, of course, your dog earing them, noting them, like drawing all over your copy of it he just gave you because I had never read it, he wanted to. But then you later look it up on eBay and just flinch inside not that I could ever sell it anyway but like god (laughs) he's very generous he loves the genre he really helped out with just making it available and then you meet Brian Freeman he's another one who's a great writer I mean he's mostly short stories but man he can now he's off at Levidian Press making beautiful books but um he he wasn't able to read the stuff so much but he made sure to get me in contact with people who would read it and then you get people like Norman who they're the harshest critics you can find and if you find the harshest critics and you can write and have them give you corrections you it helps i mean it helps so much what it was before i came there versus what it was a year after being there god it was miles and you can read the difference it's just so cool it wasn't a shoe in or anything they, they don't have an thing that i kind of had hoped that i first got there thinking i was just like oh this is awesome no it is not at all they have it's like it's is not it's not a game it's they're for real and it's and i appreciate that about them but it was also a cool way to meet these people who will tell you what's good what's not and how you need to work on it
0: exactly because like that's the only way you're going to get better i mean if they're like softballing you you're never going to oh yeah and it's
1: and i understand there's a lot of benefit to writing groups that's always been one issue i have with writing groups is if you're good they tell you you're good but they don't tell you how to be better and and it's not that it's they're not trying you can find critical ones but a lot of the times it's people writing they aren't Trying to start wars with people. You don't nobody wants to upset somebody else. So you read something, you focus on the parts you like, but I want somebody to tell me this part sucked. Like I want somebody to tell me your character said three lines of dialogue in your short story, which is the first thing Norman said about one thing they handed him. He's like, that's not enough. Nobody wants to only have three lines of dialogue. It can be a great short story, but unless you were writing a absolutely fantastic masterpiece, no, that's not enough. You need to have some character voice where you actually hear exchanges to give people a feeling of it. So that's a hard pass for me. I and mean, then it was just like, oh, okay, well, that these help. Or this happens, too much is going on here or too much information is going in, these sorts of things. It's hard to get people who are willing to just tear you a new one. Oh, and CD yeah. provided that.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I think as a writer, you got to be open to that feedback. You can't be like, oh, yeah. this is fine. No one needs to change it. It's perfect the way it is. Nope.
1: Oh, yeah. I love – you love hearing that, but then you also – you feel cheated almost. It's like I want somebody to tell me – because you always have problems. I mean, there's probably three or four books that I can say that I just wouldn't change a thing about them. I don't understand how I can make them better. Otherwise, you, there's always a couple things here or there you just want to be like – I mean, I, I love Pet Cemetery. He goes to work one day. Like, he's a doctor. He, he doesn't go to work. I mean, it's not that it needs to be there for the story, but you still want to just like examine, like, is there, a re- like, I want to know a little bit about that because they're paying him to stay home. I mean, it's all sorts of ones. And if you can find any of these things. I I mean, okay, I am legend. I wouldn't, I don't know what I'd say to do with that because it's just, I can reread it. It hits me in the gut every single time. And I just adore it. There's certain ones that are just beyond reproach. Um,
0: but the road, I, I don't
1: know how he made me feel that way. Like that's, I've never read anything. that was such a vague story. Basically nothing happened. And yet it still hit me so hard emotionally that it's like, this is, I can't, I can't do anything with that.
0: Exactly. But the thing is though, all these, all these wonderful books, I'll bet you they, I'll bet you they didn't start that way. And that again, is oh, the power I'm sure of editors.
1: not. Oh yeah. And editors, self criticism and criticism from other authors they exchanged and i've seen that more and more available is you can give things to authors to look at it and they'll now at this point they can i get people who will actually definitely torture me which is good i want and not like but they're willing to be abusive if they see something wrong and that's good i want that and it makes it better
0: every time every time
1: it's so- not that i could make pet cemetery better i'm not even so not even beginning to claim it. i'm just saying there's like things you just want to like say hi, could I ask you about, but like, no, no, it's, 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 it's a freaking masterpiece. It's awesome.
0: Absolutely. But, um, <laughs> Absolutely. So of course, a cornerstone of any writer is getting out there to share the work with the world. And, yeah, and you had that chance recently at AuthorCon, your first yes. convention.
1: AuthorCon. That was amazing. And um, I had no, I've been to little conventions before and they were fun. And it was one of these black plastic trash bags you put books on, on little plastic tables you bring yourself. This was a whole different thing, and it was for a good cause. I mean, Brian Keene out there gathering money to help out families of people who had had real, real tragedies and trauma happen to them and stuff. And but you get to meet with a community like of actual. I mean, these are my gods. They're just wandering around these patron saints of heart. You just they walk by and they're saying hi, and you shake their hands, and they're not unapproachable. They're actually just people, and they're happy, and they love doing what they're doing. I mean, I know Tom Monteleone, He's with Borderlands Press. He's all these awards, but he sits down next to you. And you have sit down next to these other Paul Wilson. You sit you talk to these names that man, I've been I've known these names for a long time. And they're they're you can talk to them, you can see them, they're real, and they're not it's not a facade, it's not one of these author names where you hear about it, but you don't actually ever see the person. This is these are it's and it was for a good cause and you get to meet all these different readers. It was such a wild experience. It was so cool and so good. And then it went well. So there's going to be another one next year, which is, it just announced that it's going, tables are going for sale in a couple of weeks. So it's really cool.
0: Will you be back there?
1: I plan on being back there. It was, it was a great experience. Oh yeah. And Kevin over there went with, he's, he knows a lot of them because Kevin Lucia he's, he just came out with night road and a whole bunch of other things. Um, but he's working with Seven deaths. He was out there and he was selling stuff and all these people coming by and I'm sitting next to him at our table and people are stopped by ch- chatting with him that I've been reading since I was, oh, I'm still creepy and small, but, um... <laughs> but, um...
0: oh man, you know, I actually got the chance to meet Brian Keene at a small book show. Uh, this is all pre COVID and um, I'm a huge Keene fan. I've read mm-hmm. so much of his stuff. Oh, he's and, awesome! And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to ask if I can get a picture of the guy. I'm just going to ask, you know, worst case scenario, mm-hmm. he says no. So I approach, I think it might have been his agent or the person that, or his team and mm-hmm. said, you know, does Richard Keene, could I get a picture of him? And the guy's like, absolutely. And Brian Keene comes over. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I'm looking at the man. Holy shit. And that's like one of my treasured pictures. He's such
1: a good guy. I mean, he also was willing to go and drag to get raised money for the cause, which I think is amazing and alarming especially if you see his wishy beard it's like all right well then <laughs> but no he's um he's a great guy he's he's fantastic he did a wonderful job with us all and i'm just he, he's been coming into work and i haven't actually seen him actually yet until i went through this thing and actually finally ran into him. moving somehow missing each other even though i plot out when he comes so i can try to run into him i've failed every time but um no, it's great. It was great meeting him. He's so down to earth, so helpful. So just loving with the community. It's like, yeah, I love it.
0: You know, I'm curious, uh, since you're obviously very in the in the uh, industry, you know, kind of minusing on the big names like, you know, of course, uh, Brian Keene, Stephen King and so forth. Who are some of the horror writers that you think folks should be checking out right now?
1: I mean, for pure writing talent, I mean, just read a couple of things by Malfi and he has the ability to write this just musical prose that is just I mean god it's good I mean I like I have a similar idea of quiet hard that expands beyond it with Gafoon and I had mentioned him Greg he's he's really good you have I'm trying to think of and there's individual books that slip under the radar and I know that there's ones I'm missing but I mean there's a book called I'll bring you the birds from out of the sky by Brian Hodges he i'd read dark advent by him ages ago but i hadn't read much in a while and god that book was just poetry it was gorgeous and you have there's all sorts of these little ones that slip through and some of these are not the ones that sell the best but there's i mean there's a little book we have called muse that's like it's good i mean it's really good but um god there's there's a lot of different ones and it's you just want to see their name more often because it's like once you see it once you're like oh please please let this don't don't stop here keep going because it's it's marvelous i mean
0: nice just nice. it
1: takes you away they're full of magic and so cool
0: oh definitely so what is next for you you've got the uh, the eater of gods out what's down the mm-hmm. road for you
1: i have a couple manuscripts that i've i've written two things since then one of them i'm having somebody help me tear apart right now i have one of them that is pretty much being done being torn apart that I need to actually jump off that bridge of editing and, or not editing so much as trying to market, find. Um, but at this point, you face a, a difficult things. You either stick with trying to sell things directly, which is what horror has been moving toward because it's just harder to, but this is a, with the horror renaissance, if you want to try for an agent, like if you can get an agent, it opens so many doors and it makes so much more, I mean, I'm not great at marketing. I'll be the first to admit that I'm actually bordering on terrible at selling myself to people. I just, I don't know social interactions that well. I've, for me, Facebook was a place you show that you're, where you're going to college. That's what I thought until about six months ago when somebody told me like, you have to have some online presence. If you don't have some online presence, nobody can find you. Nobody will ever know what you're doing. And it's hard. I mean, it really is. I don't, I don't envy, I don't know how you do what you do because- Reaching out to people being engaged in the community is really tough, and that's what I'm really trying to work on. Because I would love to start actually making these books re- a reality. Like, and I feel like I'm at the point where I can start doing that, maybe. And it's it's wild to think that you're at you have the opportunity to do that kind of thing. That it's not some unachievable thing that you can actually go and even if I can't get these even if I can't get these, you can go and talk to presses. You can go and actually approach them. And it, I think there's this illusion that everybody's unapproachable there's that nobody wants to read any nobody wants to hear that you have a story and it's because there's a lot of stories out there. there's a lot of just slush floating around that it's impossible to read through at all but there's people who love it like like i do like like people like the writers do and they want it to be a reality and it's great
0: that's so cool man that's so cool all right folks well dan a true pleasure talking to you sir and for the folks at home Get your copy of The Eater of Gods, soon to be released through Cemetery Dance Publications. You go to cemeterydance.com, you'll find all the information there. You go to danfranklinauthor.com, you'll find his great backstory, you read about his books, he does, uh, he does uh, editing as well, you follow his socials and engage, like, share, comment. The, we say it all the time, the engagement is key. And I can certainly not wait to dive back in this thing and finish it off, because a killer well thank you so much and that was this is wonderful you're very welcome
1: this is angelina singer author of the upper world series and you're listening to citywide blackout the best podcast for independent artists
0: hope you enjoyed that interview and definitely check out the eater of gods i'm reading it right now and i gotta say it is amazing in just a bit i'll be talking to nice vice about his new single no ends which looks at being in your 20s and the personal strife of having to figure what that means. We look at the bands of the 90s that helped shape his sound and where he's going with his debut EP, First Dose. And my next guest, he is no exception, folks. He has a brand new single out, No Ends. It is sort of a, a preview of sorts for his upcoming EP, First Dose, happening on May 20th. Seth... Otherwise known as Nice Vice joins me, Seth. Nice Vice. Welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you here.
2: Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. That was a nice introduction. That was
0: awesome. You're very welcome, sir. You definitely deserve it, because this song is really, really cool for me, and it's a bit nostalgic, too, because reading about your background, you grew up listening to bands like Pearl Jam, Counting Crows, the Chili Peppers, and you can hear that in the music so clearly, but one of the questions I want to a- ask you is about like just how these kind of bands kind of shaped your sound.
2: Well, it's interesting because it, it just sort of happened, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it just happens without you knowing when it's happening. And now, even now when I go back and I, well, and obviously these songs that are coming out, like I've heard them a bajillion times just from all of the mixing and like you know and and the writing and the recording it all you hear it a a thousand times and even i can hear the influences now but i didn't you don't notice that when you're writing so it's you know it's kind of strange but yeah big big pearl jam uh the chili peppers are my favorite band of all time like there's no there's no question uh but um and i'm actually i'm seeing them in toronto this summer so uh, that, so damn that's, jealous. That, that's gonna be a milestone for me. That'll be my biggest, uh, my biggest thing ever. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's and you know what? The more, the more music that I write, it's, it's cool because I'm, I can hear those influences. But I'm starting to, especially the EP is kind of all over the place, but now recording recording an album now and like as a, as i'm going through it i can i'm sort of finding my pocket where i you know it's not so it's not so all over the place like i'm sort of figuring out what my sound is within all those within all those sounds and like getting to play with other people and and putting stuff together it's it's uh it's very interesting like i'm excited for you to hear the other songs on the ep because they're they're all quite different There's nothing, nothing's repetitive, really. So it's, it's pretty cool.
0: And I really look forward to hearing uh, the rest of the album. Uh, Talking about your sound, uh, how would you describe sort of the final product? Like how, how, how would you describe the sound of Nice Vice?
2: It's rock and roll. I like, it's just it. And you know what? And I can see how I've, I've heard that quite a bit from people who have listened to it, especially maybe not the first single as much, but especially No Ends, just the nostalgic factor you know it does it's it's i don't know even for me it's kind of hard to explain cuz cuz it's it's me right and the i would i would just say it's 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 rock and roll it's just clean clean rock and roll and it's i don't know it's honest and it's not um i'm not trying to play off anybody specifically or anything like that and it just sort of you know like i think that that no end song and I've said that before. I think on one on one uh, written interview was uh, they asked me just about the writing process of that song. And it's funny because that song was not only the easiest one to record, but that song happened in like seriously. I was probably twenty five minutes. Like it just went. It was it was a the chorus of it was a verse from another song, and it kind of got mixed around. And once the two things lined up, I like it just immediately flowed like it was so fast and then i had that i was recording it right away the whole song just played itself out and so that's that's pretty rare <laughs> and like uh yeah i feel like i'm just rambling on i, f- I forgot what the question was but <laughs>
0: Uh, <laughs> I like that, man. I like that. Well, first, the first, question, yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> the nerves. What do we do? What, what's going to yeah. happen? What's he going to say? Um, <laughs> but the question was just kind of about like the final project, kind of like the sound of like nice Vice. You mentioned it, of course, just, you know, clean rock and roll. We talked about the influences, but how do you make your sound distinct at the same time, knowing that you're kind of shaped by by these bands a little bit?
2: Well, see that, is it, that's a tough thing. That's a good question. And that's tough to answer. I think that that's tough to answer right now because it's so early and like, I, and that's the crazy thing is like, I wish I could just take all the music I have piled up here that will be coming out inevitably uh, and just, you know, and share it because the final product is, honestly like as i go along here it's it's i'm it's getting harder it's getting faster um it's getting it's not so oh man it's hard to answer because i haven't i feel like i haven't really found my sound yet completely but the final product is you know it's it's just my take on rock and roll it's what of it's all those things i've been listening to my whole life and you know i'm i have no uh i have no uh musical training so it's all just very like you know it all just kind of came from i think i started like i started playing guitar like six years ago and it it just like i just you know it took me six years to be able to put a song together but you know i i think ah it's hard to say man it's a good question i just (laughs) haven't found it yet i haven't figured it out
0: well you know what i'll come back in about like like uh Ah, uh, ten years, and we'll have an answer. I think. See, see, yeah, you could
2: probably even come back in a year, and I could give you a, I could give you a better answer because there'll be so much more music out to I listen to.
0: Definitely. Now, and you mentioned that these songs have been kind of like in your head since like before COVID, but they've only been recently been like brought together, recorded, and and uh, and uh, produced. So, I'd like to ask kind of where the ideas for first came from, and how you kind of got to the point where you're in studio recording these things.
2: Well, the studio was like, you know, my basement in my house cuz I kind of had to do it. I did it very makeshift because it was li- it was literally right in the in the height of the pandemic. Like you couldn't go anywhere, right? Like I was back at home and like everybody was everybody was staying inside and not seeing anybody and all that crap. So I I spent, you know, I just spent all my time inside with and I got you know I got a couple pieces of equipment that I could learn how to use easily um so that I could record this stuff because it it really like it did it did take a long time to to actually put it together and get it out because it's crazy like if that was what two years ago already and now the songs like I recorded these songs like a year and a half ago and so it's taken, you know, it's taken that much time for me to, you know, f- finally be confident with what I was putting out and how it sounded. And, you know, and for first for first go, it's pretty good. I, I've had some I've had some good reviews. I People <laughs> seem to like it. So it's not, you know, it's kind of a shot in the dark, I think, on the first one. Yeah. It's, good to, it's hard to judge, but I mean
0: was it tough for you to release this knowing that, you know, you're going to have a whole like global community listening to it? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, for sure. Cause it's like, I almost have to, I have to think about every answer here. Cause, but it's, it was definitely tricky. And especially because I'd never put anything out before. Um, It, you know, the, you I put a lot of pressure on myself I think at the beginning and like I still feel I'm still trying to figure out the whole like social media thing and like you know getting getting the right consistency of like all the posting and the you know all that stuff and I'm not a public dude and I don't I've never been someone who posts on like Instagram all the time or on TikTok or any of that stuff and so like you know yeah putting it out there like knowing that there's that there's hopefully lots of people listening to it is is scary but it's uh it's pretty cool like I I can't wait to eventually just start playing live and see you know
0: see who comes
2: you know who's gonna come see the show, who's gonna come check it out
0: well count me in dude I'm there oh 100 yeah. percent yeah absolutely and dude
2: you know what I will say too it made a lot it made it a lot easier um it made me feel a lot better about putting this stuff out because I have some close friends who are really good at making videos and that we decided like for very cheap to do, to do two videos for the first two singles. Cause I just thought, why not, you know, why not put some effort into throwing some visuals out on the first thing, like just to show uh, just to show me or whatever. But that made me feel a lot better because of how good <laughs> my friends are at making videos. So, you know, that definitely helped. And we're definitely gonna make more down the line. So yeah, that, that was, that made it a little bit easier.
0: And you really got it too, especially like these days, you talked earlier about like the, the, uh, the challenges of social media. You know, you gotta, you gotta be out there all the time with like posts, like, you know, every day almost. What yeah. do you think's harder making music or being that presence? Uh, the presence. <laughs> that yeah. was a really quick yeah. answer.
2: Yeah, that was the easiest question cuz I can write music like it's nobody's business. I mean, that's that's all I do. That's all I want to do. So I'm like I mean it's yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's seriously going to take me a year, like a full year of putting out music before I get to the point where I'm like comfortable posting consistently and like getting the, also it's going to help a lot once once I start get like getting going on live shows, because you just it gives you so much more, uh, it gives you so much more content to have there. And like now that we're recording an album, and it's a lot of music, and it's we're going into the studio at the end of next month, a real studio, um, and and you know putting all this new music together and recording it and all this stuff that that also gives you a lot of content to play with and stuff. But just on the day to day stuff, yeah, like I. I'm learning, but it's it's uh, it's tricky. I've had some help, but it's tricky.
0: It's definitely tricky. I myself, I have that same challenge because I try and post daily too. I don't do it, and I'm really bad at it. But it's like, like you, you look for anything. Like, okay, do I post like a picture I took when I was out, out for a walk? Something I ate for lunch? Yeah. What? You know, what's gonna like yeah. resonate?
2: Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know what that is because for the most part, aside from you know, like I like to when I'm writing music and stuff you'd think that would be but that's that's sacred time right that's not time that I'm I'm not when I'm writing something I'm not videotaping it or taking pictures of it so it's all the all the other time around whenever I'm doing stuff that isn't that it's like this isn't very interesting I don't know what I, I like I don't know what I would post about this so you'd be uh, surprised you would be surprised no, yeah, people, what catches people, on. people love that shit they just want to you know they want to know what you're doing but you know it's kind of nice because i don't have a huge following at all yet so <laughs> I, mess around. I, I, don't, I don't really have to worry about it right now but i guess that's all part of the goal so
0: exactly exactly so let us dive into the story of no ends so this song I really like the story behind it. So this one is really all about like kind of figuring out your life when you were when you're like in your twenties. Which let's face it, no one has it figured out at that point. We're still trying to figure out what we're gonna do. But how did this become kind of the story of the song?
2: It like it it happened kind of on like by accident because I think it was just the way the song just kind of sounded a little bit sad when I wrote it. Like, the musically, it just didn't sound uplifting, <laughs> um, the actual, like, progression and just the way that everything sort of came together because the lyrics came last. And uh, and by the time I got to the actual writing of the lyrics, I was just in a very... Uh, I was in a very strange, you know, sort of COVID fog, um, lockdown, lock, the lockdown blues... And, uh, and I, I didn't, I, I, I did see no end. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and it just, you know, it was that whole situation that sort of just inspired that, that song and being a little, you know, negative, but, but, you know, the, and when it comes to the, the video, like it really, it, it made no sense. We did that. We, I got Like you'd think everybody that watches the video thinks that there's a bit more meaning behind the whole, you know, it, it played into it. The clown thing played into it really well, but, uh, it was, we came up with that idea the day before, cause we couldn't think of anything and we just thought it would be cool if I was dressed up as a clown cause we saw a painting and it, but it, it did, it played into the whole, you know, having two personalities and, uh, who are you going to be and what are you going to do? And, you know, that sort of fight. And especially during all the, you know, the two years of COVID, like I, I didn't think that uh, there was ever going to, that it was ever going to stop, that there was ever going to be any end to all that, everything that was going on. So, you know, it was just a mixture of all of those things together that made that song the way it is. But, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely this the sort of that grapple of what are you going to do? how are you going to do it? And like, why are you going to do it? What's the point? (laughs) What, you know,
0: do you feel like you've got those answers for yourself?
2: Um, no, not yet. I don't think so. I think, I think all I can do is, uh, you know, just keep writing tracks and, and, you know, I get consistent with putting them out and, you know, putting it, I, the nice thing is, is that I just, I don't, I haven't slowed down on the writing end. So there's just so much to go, and so that that gives me the you know, there there is no end to that either. So I can just keep you know, over the years I'm just gonna keep putting out music constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I think that 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 is one of the answers I think for me coming out of the whole coming out of the whole uh, blur of the last two years.
0: Blur is a good word of is a great description actually. It's definitely a blur. So, you know, here in the states, we're definitely seeing a lot of things ending. We're seeing like you know, shows are happening again. Bands are playing tours. Some have been have been playing for as long as like last summer. But um, what's it like a um, in your area? Are like shows happening?
2: It's funny that you should bring that up because I'm uh, I just went to Royal Blood last night.
0: Ooh, and what's um, that?
2: The, do you know Royal Blood, the band? Nope, nope. Oh well. You are in for treats. Go, uh, yeah. No, they've they've gotten they've gotten pretty large. They're a UK. It's just a it's a two piece. It's a bass player and a drummer. Hmm. But you upon first listen, you will not think that. Um, he's extremely he's extremely clever with his tones. But we we went to that show last night, um, and that was the first concert that I've been to since before covid so it's been it's been over two it's been over two years since i'd been to a show and it was a great show to start with um but that actually that week that the pandemic happened that everything blew up and everyone went into the lockdown that week i was supposed to have back-to-back sturgill simpson and pearl jam and they both got canceled They both it was that week, the same week, and they got canceled a couple days before they were supposed to happen. So I got a lot of concerts coming up this summer that are have been backed up that I will be going to uh, finishing it off with the chili peppers at the end of the summer.
0: That is an excellent battle plan. sir. I love that. I actually went to my first indoor show. Last mm-hmm. Friday at a place called Askew, which is um, in Providence, Rhode Island, and my buddy Matt actually played. So it was cool. That this was like my first like indoor like venue mm-hmm. show. Seeing my buddy on stage, and it was weird because I didn't feel like anything had happened. I, I just kind of felt like it was just like sliding back into a very comfortable life, you know? Like because I used to go to shows all the time, mm-hmm. and I, and going like walking the venue, like oh man, I wonder what this is gonna be like. I was like oh just feels like normal you know
2: yeah i agree it it felt yeah it it felt so good to just walk in and it was like you know it was pretty i think it was like it's a the venue had like 2500 people um and it's just the perfect size like Mm. it was so loud oh it was just it was awesome yeah and like i i'm obviously i'm yet to uh yet to play any of my own stuff but that'll be a big uh that'll be a big goal of the summer is i've sort of got i've got the group together now to do it and uh you know get her going we'll get started i look forward to that man definitely definitely
0: now for this song one one unique aspect that we definitely have to talk about is you did you played every instrument on the EP. I don't usually hear that. Usually, it's like me and the band, but you did every yeah. instrument. How? Um it's a good question.
2: Uh, it it was annoying. It took <laughs> like it took a long time to figure out a lot of the, you know, it, and being my first time recording anything, it was to be fair, the drums the drums were not it, it, I wasn't playing a real kit, but I did it on a I did it on keys. Right. So it was all like and funny enough, like, you know, you're you're never supposed to do it. But uh, the drums went last into every song because I had, like I had that's just how I had to do it because I didn't know what the songs were going to actually sound like at the end. So I had to fill in the drums at the end, which was tricky. But I used to play drums Um before I ever found the guitar, I used to play drums. I played drums for years. And so I'm comfortable, like when I'm writing a song, I already know, I sort of know what I want the drums to sound like already when I'm just playing it on the guitar. And so then by the time I got there at the end, it's like I had to figure out how to use the keyboard and how to get the right drum sound. But people don't recognize that. Nobody, you know, I don't have people going, like they, everybody thinks that it's a drummer playing the drum, but it's just me doing it um and then all the other stuff was pretty you know it it took time to figure it out but uh you know the guitar the bass the vocals everything it you know it was just fun honestly and i i just heard uh jack white actually just put out a record um a solo record and he did the exact same thing uh during uh, over the last two years and he did a whole album just by himself just doing all of the instruments and so I had a good chuckle at that because, so did I. It's less songs, but <laughs> so did I. But I don't really ever want to do that again. I would <laughs> rather have I would rather have uh, other people playing. You know, maybe a better bass player and a better drummer, and people who are you know, that's their specialty. It's not my specialty. So, you
0: I know. get you. I get you. Meanwhile, we can say that Jack White. I got the idea from you.
2: For sure. I don't know. I. I, I ha- Highly doubt he's uh I highly doubt he's heard any of my songs, but maybe someday if he hears one, uh, he can go back and maybe he'll hear that and he'll know that That'd exactly. He'll
0: be, kind of he, he be, be like, be like, that's where I got the idea.
2: Damn, <laughs> that's actually also another one I have tickets for. Oh, yeah, nice, he's nice. Coming, he's coming this summer as well.
0: Yeah. So you you talked earlier about uh having the about having the band together to go play your own shows. This will be your first time on stage.
2: Um, I've done some like open mic stuff in the past, but yeah, no, it'll be my first time on stage with, uh, it'll be my first time on stage with an actual band playing my music. It's still a little ways down the road. Like I'm hoping by sort of by the middle of the summer, I can have that sort of figured out. Um, and we'll also have the album already recorded. So it'll be, it'll be going live and playing those songs. It won't be playing these songs. So it'll be all new stuff that people definitely have not heard, um, which is fun, but it it's, I'm, I'm totally ready. Like, I mean, I'm just sitting here practicing all these songs and recording all these songs over and over and over again. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty built into my, my body at this point. So it'll just be, you know, get, get those uh, jitters out of the way, get the, the first, uh, get the first show out of the way, maybe throw up once or twice. And then, just, uh,
0: you know, and then just buckle up and go from there, whatever. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. Any particular venues that you're dying to play at? Uh,
2: yeah. The first, I mean, obviously starting small here, but uh, in Toronto, um, the Horseshoe Tavern.
0: I've heard uh, of that place. Yeah, I've heard yeah, of it. Like
2: so many great bands, like just so many. And like I have friends that I go see that play there. And like it's you know, I would love to, to get up on that stage, for the you know at at the beginning and and sort of say that that's where I that's where I started you know.
0: Hey, exactly, man. We all got we all got to start somewhere. And more and more, I'm thinking I gotta go up to Canada and go on just like a music tour, basically, just like you hit venues all over the place.
2: For sure, I mean, come to Toronto. There's so many, and the. The one that I just went to last night, which is called history, which is Drake, Drake built it. Um, And it's, it's right. It's on the east end of the city, but it's, oh man, just a beautiful venue. And it sounded so good, like perfect size. Just everything about it was awesome. It was awesome. Hmm. There's yeah, there's so many good ones. There's so many good ones nice nice
0: now with the ep set uh, set to come out in just a few weeks really like a month basically Mm -hmm. do you feel like do you feel like this is your like i have arrived moment
2: Yeah. yes and no i think that the by default it is my i have arrived moment because it is the first you know it's the first bunch of songs that anybody's hearing um but I think my real I have arrived moment will be when the album comes out, which is going to be like 15 songs and it's going to be like, it's going to be long. And it's in my opinion, just way better than the EP. (laughs) And, and I've, and I've sort of figured out, you know, I've sort of figured out more what I'm doing and it's a little more consistent and it's fun. And like, I can't wait to eventually play it live and, so you know, I think that I think it's a bit of both. I think this is my I have arrived moment, but also wait a little bit longer and it'll be it'll be there.
0: Ah, looking forward to that, man. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, Seth, man, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a lot of fun. Again, loving no ends, folks. You're, if you haven't heard it, check it out. Nice Vice on Spotify and other platforms. You follow him on on Instagram under Nice Vice Music. Like, share, subscribe. This all interaction helps so much. The engagement helps getting the word out there, and of course, the debut EP, First Dose, drops on May twentieth. Make sure you get it. And Seth, looking forward to uh, the next time.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks. This is so cool. This is my first one. So thanks for thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the I hope you enjoy the EP.
0: I certainly will. Picture this: you finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the Cover Villain, hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Dan and Nice Vice for joining me, and definitely check out their work. You will not be disappointed. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get to me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check out the show wherever you find podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. To close things out, here's Nice Vice's new single, No Ends. As always, keep those ears open.
2: always get so red. I don't mind going home just a little bitterly. What's the consequence when my head just spins in bed? I don't wanna miss another word that you said to me. Quick lip and a pet don't mean you quit moves
0: you strong Comes back to get you when you think you're safe from it all